Hello, lovely people. This is Nicole Telkish. I am your host here on the Wild Spirit Podcast, and this is Episodes 2, Resistance and Thieves, where we will be looking at ideas surrounding immunity and resistance to things like the COVID-19 pandemic, as well as some stories of recipes like Vinegar of the Four Thieves. And we will be hearing from leaders and authoritative voices in the herbal and holistic health world and some inspirational and hopeful ideas around taking care of ourselves during this time. So this episode has evolved over the past week or so. We are living in quite a different world than we were at the beginning of March in the United States. So right now, currently, it's the spring equinox, and this episode has evolved into a bit of a mini-series, so to say. So some of the inspiring quotes were really great conversations I had with people I look up to and our mentors and or other colleagues that I find to be very inspirational and helpful. I wanted to share their voices with you over the next week or so, you're going to get a variety of in-depth offerings and interviews with people like Paul Bergner, Mary Iodele, Will Morris, Jim McDonald, and some others that are still coming in to lend their voices to this time. I thought this was also a good time to document how we as herbalists are going to be dealing with a viral epidemic. According to the NIH, the National Institute of Health, they say in the absence of vaccine or treatment medications, non-pharmaceutical interventions become the most important response strategy. These are community interventions that can reduce the impact of disease. To begin everything in this episode and mini-series, I wanted to stress the importance of staying home and socially distancing ourselves and really being responsible and thinking about what that NIH quote is saying. So we all have to be vigilant to be able to get through this well. And we have to be responsible to our entire community and not just our loved ones and follow the recommendations to self-isolate And yes, you will go stir crazy, maybe all of that, but we really have to be responsible here and do the right thing. So so instead of just thinking of how to not get it yourself, I think one of the best things you can do is act as if you are infected already with the virus and you don't wanna give it to anyone else. So I want you to be very cognizant during this time that we are, in a precarious place and we want to be very very mindful. I'm going to be looking at offering you some different ways of dealing with preventing and mitigating symptoms if you are to get sick. From my experience as an herbalist I find that we tend to work in a lot of in-between spaces and edges and places that are just considered 
very gray areas. And so our remedies and how we approach things are somewhat outside of a lot of allopathic models and not really well understood. You're going to see that I'm going to be focusing in my resources that I'm offering on our school's website as to really focus on trying to find a clinical herbalist or somebody who really focuses on understanding herbs rather than just try to put together a bunch of things on your own when you don't really understand how they work. And we are out there. We are all over social media right now. (laughs) So find us. And if you need resources, look on my school's website, Wildflower School of Botanical Medicine, and we will be listing resources in our home base of Austin, Texas and Central Texas, as well as all over the place and other resources from other herbalists as well and herb organizations. When I first started this podcast, it was going to be a fun extra project that I did on the side. Now, as an herbal educator, we have postponed our classes and we are self-isolating. So now this podcast is becoming more and more of a project. And to me, education is key to getting us through this sort of situation. I'm very dedicated to not only providing you with a variety of resources, but authoritative and experienced and responsible approaches to taking care of yourself and others. You'll find that I'm not going to have any kind of questionable theories that may endanger anyone else if we are relying on herbal medicines or other types of holistic modalities during a viral pandemic or any other sort of health issue. This is going to be something for you to consider and think about, but in by no means are any of the stories or thoughts meant to be any kind of answer to the pandemic or any other, any type of health or medical condition. I'm just trying to give you ideas in case you need to think outside of the box and cannot get and access medical attention right when you need it. I like to operate with the idea that there is a place for herbalism in the medical world and there is a place for surgical intervention and emergency care and counselors and and spiritual guidance, no matter what it is, there's a place for it. So I'm giving you something from my perspective. I want to ask that you consider supporting my work and what I'm doing by joining me as a patron of my new Patreon account, Wild Spirit Podcast. If you enjoy the work that I'm doing and find it helpful, then you can help me create more for you by becoming a patron at the Wild Spirit Patreon account. So thank you so much. And I hope you enjoy the voices of herbalism that I have for you, as well as our stories. Part of being a holistic herbalist is that I don't just look at how to use herbs to heal yourself from a physical standpoint, but I use things from body, mind, and spiritual contexts. So some of our guests are going to be 
looking at things from a physical place and then others are going to look at it from a spiritual context. This is very important when healing and staying healthy, we look at how all of it is connected. So not only is the whole body connected, but the emotions and spirit and community is also connected to staying well and getting through illness. So we're going to start with nutrition and some basic physical ways that you can take care of your body and your community. Paul Bergner and Tanya Neubauer and their daughter Lilikoy are friends of mine and esteemed colleagues and have, I've learned a lot from all of them over the years, especially Lilikoy. And Paul is the director of the North American Institute of Medical Herbalism. He has studied, practiced, and taught natural medicine since 1973. He has formal training in naturopathy, medical herbalism, clinical nutrition, traditional Chinese medicine, Ayurveda, flower essences, all sorts of things. He has published the Medical Herbalism Journal since 1989 when he founded the North American Institute of Medical Herbalism. He's written seven books on medical herbalism, nutrition, Chinese medicine, and he's a professional member of the American Herbalist Guild. He has been teaching and has mentored over 300 students, and he is currently living in Portland, Oregon. So I'm very excited to have him with me here on the show. Paul, welcome to the show today. And I really appreciate you being here. And I was just wondering to start this whole conversation off. Um, what are your initial thoughts regarding immunity and vitalism and how we can act in accordance with that? One of the principles of, uh, of vitalism is to pay attention to the context and the milieu of what's going on. So the vitalist doesn't focus on the toxin and toxicity. They, they focus on the natural detoxification methods of the body and try to support those. And the same way, uh, we don't look at the potency of an infectious organism. We look at the body's natural host resistance and how do we support that. And uh, we're uh, right now we're in the middle of a uh, flu season and there's the new virus that that's um, spreading around the world the, the, the wuhan uh, coronavirus and so uh, we ask the question okay what is our host resistance they, they know with all of these influenza and the coronavirus that that uh, most people get mild or inconsequential disease but uh, people who are uh, are weak, have pre-existing conditions, or have immunodeficiency of some sort, are much more vulnerable to get serious consequences of those diseases. So, so the first thing uh, you would ask on the Arabic model is, uh, what is simple advice? I have uh, number one: don't walk around in a state of sleep debt. <laughs> Stay in bed eight to nine hours a night. There was a recent new thing I found, and it was specifically about sleep debt and influenza. They <laughs> took two groups of people, and one group, they restricted their sleep for uh, seven days, right? And the other group, they let them sleep normally for seven days. And both groups, they gave them an influenza immunization, right, mm -hmm. uh, on day six, right? 
And then they watched, and the, and the people with sleep death, the antibody response to the influenza <laughs> immunization was deficient compared to the people who had normal sleep, right? And not only that, they then let the people with the, the sleep dead people who are immunized, they let them sleep normally for seven more nights on their own. And even at the end of the second seven nights, their anti-influenza uh, antibodies were, were deficient. Huh. And, uh, this is, this, there's now science behind this tradition, getting the night's sleep, right? That's, that's pretty significant little scientific tidbit in the face of flu season and a coming respiratory virus. Number two is move your body around. Right? Walk around 20 to 30 minutes a day. That's going to change your, your, your host resistance from the basic point of view. Now, the next thing to consider is nutrient deficiencies. There's a formula for just simple, normal, basic ground of nutrition to support normal immunity. And the, the aphorism is Zases. It's Z-A-C-E-S. And that is um, zinc. Vitamin A, vitamin C, vitamin E, and selenium. This is actually this, the Zasses aphorism is uh, the Zasses formula. This was devised by a woman in Zimbabwe at the height of the onset of the AIDS epidemic there. And then they also took garlic every day. And it was also cutting sugar out of the diet. That was the, uh -huh. that was the, third, the third piece she did. Also, uh, very important in immunity is normal levels of protein. Uh, people need, most people need, absolutely need, or they're going to get sick, about 60 grams of protein a day. Uh, most, most Americans actually begin to thrive more abundantly if they get 90 or more grams of protein a day. This is the big one for flu or coronavirus or, or any of those is vitamin D. I couldn't talk about this enough. The thing is, on the journey from vitamin D normal down to vitamin D uh, deficient, you get increasingly depressed respiratory immunity, specifically oh, respiratory wow. immunity. Mm -hmm. uh, and please, at one certain level, you get twice the risk of a respiratory infection if you have vitamin D at that level. I won't say increases, it supports normal local immunity. Okay. In other words, if you're deficient, and this is especially in the respiratory tract, you have immune cells in your respiratory tract, and these immune cells have proteins on their surface. Mm -hmm. right? And these proteins are how they recognize a virus or a bacteria. Those proteins are manufactured under the, under the stimulus and supervision of vitamin D. And when people become deficient in vitamin D, not only do their bones start to melt and their muscles start to ache, but you stop making these surface proteins that allow your respiratory tract, like blood cells, to recognize virus and bacteria. This isn't about vitamin D, but this is an absolutely critical piece. If you have a coming plague and flu season is coming on, everybody ought to take four to 7,000 IVs of vitamin D in order to, to support we're not driving something. This isn't megadosis. This isn't stimulating. This is supporting normal respiratory immunity. There's one other thing that vitamin D does. It's like a magic bullet. It supports normal immunity, but it reduces the tendency to develop excessive systemic inflammation. Somebody with vitamin D dysregulation, they will much more easily get an infection, and then that infection will much more likely create systemic inflammation rather than be handled locally. 
So mm-hmm. as we say vitamin D supports normal immunity. It doesn't suppress systemic inflammation. It puts a firewall on, on uh, uh, systemic inflammation. So this is exactly what we're looking at. Uh, not the average person who gets the flu or coronavirus, right? This isn't what happens, but people who get complications, people who develop pneumonia, uh, people who end up in the hospital with those, they have an issue that uh, infection spread, it spread to the lungs, and now it's creating huge waves of inflammatory chemicals, mm-hmm. right? And those inflammatory chemicals add to the pathology. They call it a cytokine. Here, Paul dipped into a little bit about cytokine storms. And so I'm going to have resources for those that are confused about what a cytokine storm is and whether or not certain herbs can help or hinder them and when that would be an issue. I'll mention this. This is mm-hmm. extremely important. Um, okay. For dark-skinned people, the dark could range from from jet black African to uh, various shades up to white, pink, you know, North American. But uh, for a very uh, black-skinned person, it would take three hours to get that same 20,000 IUs of vitamin D that a light-skinned person gets in 20 minutes. So this is is a huge issue in African-American medicine. You just consider, just forget the race, just look at the pigmentation, lighter or darker skin there's a more a higher risk of vitamin D deficiency, right? Wow. Especially in the northern, yeah, especially in the northern latitude. Is there anything else besides vitamin D or herbs that you feel like really should be on somebody's, in somebody's medicine cabinet or on their bedside table just as a preventative? So we're still at prevention. I call this prevention during prevalence. <laughs> that the epidemic is present. You don't know you've been exposed or anything, but mm-hmm. just common sense prevention during prevalence. The most important of zases for respiratory infection is probably zinc. Okay. Yeah, the, it can come in the form of zinc lozenges. You let them melt in your mouth. Do about three of those a day. will ensure that your zinc levels are, are healthy. And also it has a local effect in the mouth and in the, uh, the throat and the upper throat. If you let them melt in your mouth, it has a, a local antiviral effect. This is one of the roots by which you get a respiratory illness. It comes through your mouth, respiratory tract. So that would be the one other one. So then the other is, is a garlic, a subset of white blood cells. They're called T-killer cells or NK cells, NK-killer cells. They're, they are specifically, they scan around and they look for virally infected cells. They also look for cancers. Right? Mm. They look for any cell, any cell that doesn't look like yourself anymore. The natural killer, they go around sniffing. Actually, they go in and I like to think they punch in a little key code. <laughs> and they say, is they sniff what are the proteins on the surface and they go, whoa, there's some not self proteins on the surface. And they punch in a little key code and that cell self-destructs. Right. Mm. They're uh, our primary anti-cancer uh, and anti-virally infected cell things. So natural killer cells, now they're going to be optimized when you optimize your nutrition and your vitamin D, but you can actually, you can stimulate them and elevate them with garlic. This is as simple as garlic in the diet, or someone could take a garlic powder pill. It doesn't have to be raw garlic. Oral garlic elevates natural killer cells. So whether or not it's fresh or cooked, because I was under the impression that there's different constituents active in fresh garlic versus cooked garlic, for example. It's true. Fresh garlic is required for topical use on an infection. Mm. 
or for use on a gastrointestinal infection, right, for like parasites. Okay. But because there it has a local effect, right? You chop up garlic and the the burning substance that's released, uh, which is the will raise blisters on the human skin, by the way, Mm -hmm. that uh, it's called allicin. And allicin will kill almost any microorganism. And so you need that on a wound. You need it fresh. It's very effective at dilution, but you need fresh and diluted. Also for parasites in the intestines, the garlic treatment for parasites, garlic treatment for, I'm sorry, one of the diarrheal infections that used to affect AIDS patients back in the 90s. Once you get garlic on your breath, Mm -hmm. those substances that smell like garlic on your breath, they're being delivered to the very deepest part of your lungs, oh, and they wow. are antimicrobial. Okay, that's great. <laughs> so, <laughs> so eat some garlic till you have it on your breath during prevalence. So one other question, like people I know in the herbal community that I run in and you run in, a lot of people are asking, should we stock up on elderberry syrup and echinacea? Are you f- saying that you think that garlic is probably the best thing to just kind of have in your medicine cabinet when there's flu season? Or would you also say that when we were taping this particular show, COVID-19 is very prevalent, but in general, we would probably be approaching a lot of these pathogens or, or viruses similarly with herbs. And do you have anything to say about that as far as this particular situation? Yeah, I, I would just say about what I've said so far, the mistake people make is to take a whole lot of elderberry and echinacea and astragalus and whatever else without doing the stuff I've talked about so far. Right. Right. You know, the the right use of any herb, and this has been a, a foundation of what I've taught 40 years, the right use of the herb is the herb and the context of the healing. Don't expect the herb to make up for the sleep death or the vitamin D deficiency. We live in a modern era. We live in the drug era where people think, the drug or the constituents in the plant are a magic bullet and they ignore the context. Or they you want to take drop doses of an herb as if that were a magic bullet that is going to cure somebody's vitamin D deficiency. Well, and actually well, it wasn't so. traditional herbalism. That was traditional doctoring, right? I mean, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Know. Yeah. So, yeah. um, what about resources? So if people are trying to keep up to date, if there's a pathogen in their community or, if like here's COVID-19 that's out at this you know time of taping, where do you go to find out good, solid data and information so that you don't get locked in the hype of you know the news and all of that? <laughs> One thing, I would pay attention to anything coming from the World Health Organization. Okay. WHO mm-hmm. uh, or, or anybody associated with the World Health Organization. Okay. They're, because see, their interest of the World Health Organization is helping everybody else in the world prepare for this thing that's going to be everywhere. Right. That's their interest. So they don't have any interest in covering for the Chinese communists or anything like that. They're trying to get accurate information, the best current information out to as many people as they can. Uh, right to prevent that catastrophe and death around the world. And so, uh, so you're asking about herb. You asked what I would have around. Yeah, I'd have echinacea. I actually every flu season I make sure I have my elderberry syrup. I, I get a uh, a glycerin-based one from uh, mm-hmm. from Herb Farm because the Samacol itself has sugar in it, or if it doesn't have sugar, it has 
uh, fake sugar in it. Right. And then I want to make sure I have bones set around, not in pregnancy, not in lactation, and not in pediatrics of of young people. Okay. I would say certainly not in toddlers. Okay. And not not, not for a long time in anybody. The nice thing about bone set is... You don't need to take it for a long time, right? Right. Um, and do you have any closing thoughts before I let you go that you want to make sure and say that people haven't heard yet? Or Yes, I, I, yes, I do. First of all, this uh, the COVID-19, which is, which is, is coming, uh, I have no doubt that before this is over, our hospitals are going to be turning away patients because they don't have capacity to handle the people who have it. There's nothing being done here effectively to prepare at the, at the, at the intensive care and the emergency level of hospital compared to what's happening in Italy or China. Most people, this is going to be like flu season, right? But one person out of five in China ends up in the hospital, right? So the important thing to do is to not overlook the fact that most people are going to have a mild illness, that some of those, the people and the pre-existing conditions are hypertension, heart disease, diabetes, cancer, or lung disease, and uh, chronic lung disease, is that those guys end up in the hospital under intensive care. So it's important if this is you're an herbalist listening to this, do not be romantic about herbs. You need to know when that person needs hospital care, right? Right. Uh, and uh, I, I'm advising people to start looking in your environment, in your family, your family and friends, your neighbors, who is at risk here, right? Mm-hmm. And make concrete, practical preparations to make sure there's health insurance, Hospital access, how are they going to get there? What, what if they become critically ill at 3 in the afternoon? Are you going to call 911, right? What if 911 isn't able to answer your call because they're overwhelmed? You know, you need to make a practical uh, practical considerations for people who develop severe illness. Now, now, that said, most people who develop severe illness, it's going to be sometime after day 6 to 8. Okay. Right? So... Um, but uh, do not underestimate the, the ability of this. This thing is one-tenth of one percent of people with the flu die of complications. Probably two percent or more people with this die of complications. That's 200 times more lethal than flu. And that uh, we get 30 or 40,000 people dying of flu in the United States every year. So this is not to be overlooked. This is serious. Okay? Yes. Thank you for saying right. that. That was Paul Bergner of the North American Institute of Medical Herbalism. And for a full interview, I will be releasing that in the next day or so after this episode is released. And it will be entitled Paul Bergner Full Interview on my podcast. And he goes much more deeply into each of the supplements and the herbs that he talked about in this episode. I want to caution folks against running out and trying to purchase the herbs he spoke about unless you are already practicing as an herbalist and understand how to combine them and how much to take and how often. Otherwise, I really recommend going to see a practitioner or finding one of us online or through our resources that I'm posting after the show so we can make sure to get you the proper amounts in the proper way. 
Well, this is great. And what I'm going to do in the show notes is give some of the books that you've written and some of the other resources. And in particular, I do believe you have a CD set that people can purchase on this subject. What was it? I, I do. Well, if you go to naimh.com, that's my school site. We mainly sell audio courses, right? You click on school store. Right there at the top on the school store page, you can see uh, three different forms of our influenza course. Um, oh, wow. You, okay. can do a digital down, you can do a digital download for $29. You can do a uh, MP3 format or a CD-ROM format for $39. This is the good. time to get good at, at understanding all of this. Three hours of lecture and a big uh, a, a collection of supplemental readings. Wonderful. Articles. Well, I hope our listeners can follow up some of this um, with that course, because I think the more you know, the more power you have and the more empowered you are and not acting out of fear, but with knowledge. So that would be really great. And I'm excited to be with you this summer in the rainforest um, with the rainforest retreat, too. So maybe some of our listeners can join us as we sit back in the old growth. Do you want to say anything about that? Or? Yeah, just a minute. I think if you go to that, um, you go to that same uh, website, uh, naimh.com, and click on School Store, mm-hmm. you'll see four featured products at the top. It's the three different forms of the influenza course mm-hmm. and the rainforest retreat. It has uh-huh. a complete description. Okay. Yeah, this is six days, six days in the Oregon rainforest visiting uh, the different uh, plant zones between sea level and and, uh, and tree line. Great. And we'll have so much fun um, not thinking about pandemics, but exploring the rainforests and um, resting and getting rid of sleep debt. Yeah, we'll keep our tents at least 25 yards apart, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> okay. there Great. You go. Well, thank you so okay. much. Today's story centers around a traditional remedy known as Vinegar of the Four Thieves. This is a traditional herbal remedy, and nobody really knows exactly when it was discovered or created or used for the first time, but there is an old story that says that during the bubonic plague, there were some thieves that were robbing the dead or sick. And when they were caught, they exchanged a secret recipe in order to not have to get into trouble. And some even darker stories say that they were forced to be buried with the dead. And this is how they were surviving being buried with plague victims. It also has another name known as Marseille's vinegar, There's so many different remedies that are similar to it and have variations as happens with a traditional remedy over the ages. In general, this is something that has been handed down over centuries and 
there were some common things that I noted when I was looking up the different remedies. Most of the time it was in some sort of vinegar, right? So there's this vinegar. A lot of times you'll see that there's wine vinegar used and then other types of aromatic herbs are added to the vinegar. So some of the remedies I've seen include rosemary or sage, lavender, many, many, many of them include rue. So rue seems to be a big component and garlic. So rue and garlic I saw in several of the variations. And then it's oftentimes finished with some camphor, dissolved spirit of camphor. And you'll see different herbs used with different remedies, but all of them being somewhat aromatic. And then these herbs are soaked in the vinegar for um, a lot of recipes. Like I'm looking at one right now that says digest for seven to eight days with occasional agitation. Then you decant off the vinegar. And this medicated vinegar, as it was known, they anointed themselves with this vinegar to prevent illness and disease. And it's something that we as herbalists can look at as far back as Hippocrates, who used aromatic vinegars back in ancient Greece. And, you know, you have to think about first, there was no distilled ethanol. A lot of people would use wine or wine vinegar as a way to preserve different types of medicinal remedies. There was even a case where one of the physicians would walk around with a orange during the plague stuffed with aromatic vinegars and walk through crowds because there was this old belief that you could catch something from a smell. So he believed by having good smells or sometimes for get rid of contagion. But we also know that plants are polypharmacy, so they have all sorts of things in them. And volatile oils in plants, which have become very popular in a branch of plant medicine known as aromatherapy, these plant aromatics are are very, very strong. They're volatile oils. And the volatile oils have some basic tenets that we can agree on as herbalists. They are going to be somewhat stimulating to some effect, and they are going to be able to kill some sort of microbial activity. Now, because it's polypharmacy, we can't say exactly what they're all going to kill or how or how much. But when you put a lot together, you're getting a much larger amount of polypharmacy there too. So by creating this vinegar of the four thieves you're and using different aromatic plants, you're just making your pharmacy that much more diverse. And so diverse pharmacy, it's believed uh, plants may be able to go after things different ways, right? And then if you have different plants going after things different ways, then a potential pathogen or virus or bacteria or fungus has that many more that many more ways that it could be effective. This formula came back with Dr. Christopher. Dr. Christopher is a well-known historical figure in modern herbalism. And then we started to see that Young Living took a hold of it and trademarked it as something called thieves oil. Nonetheless, this remedy has been used throughout history. And 
you know, I'm sure any of you that know my history, I just got through a five-year trademark battle over Firesider. So it doesn't make me very happy to see another company taking something and trademarking it. But it is at this point. But you, it is not illegal for you to go and make the traditional remedy. And it's actually much more sustainable and easier to do so. So what you can do is I'm going to leave a recipe for variation on this traditional remedy of vinegar of the four thieves in the show notes in our resources also for the COVID-19 resources that we're putting together as a way to clean surfaces, to anoint yourself, to get all these aromatics in the air and keep things fresh and moving and you can use whatever you have around you there's 17 different versions that apparently have been found and a lot of them in the 15th century and that my friends is the story of the four thieves to be clear there is no known cure for covid19 and this is not a remedy to kill viruses. This is simply a aromatic antimicrobial. I wish you good health with modern approaches to ancient wisdom. My friend Darlene Starr, who's a community herbalist, shared a repost on Stephanie Big Eagle's Facebook page that came from Tala Tutusis. And I wanted to share it with you because it really resonated with me. The elders of my community have stated, this sickness has a spirit, just like fear has a spirit. Do not feed it fear. Use your medicines. Don't forget to offer tobacco, boil cedar, and make teas. Don't just make these medicines or burn them, but talk to them, tell them what you need. Smudge your homes, pray with good energy, pray and ask the spirit of the sickness not to hurt our people. They said, now is a time to pray to create a powerful, strong relationship with the water, the earth, the elements, and the medicines. We also have a pandemic plan in place, and I hope all communities develop one and protect the elders. Thank you to both Tala Tatusis and Stephanie Big Eagle for posting this. I feel like it's a powerful message. Thanks so much for joining me today. And if you want to hear the full interview with Paul Bergner, I'll be posting it up online after this is posted so that you have some more to listen to. My next guest this week will be Mary Iodele talking about community resilience and some things to think about as we get through this pandemic. Long story short, you want to get yourself some seeds and begin to grow something that's edible that you can tangibly put in your mouth and touch and feel. Um, the other thing you want to do is simplify your meals, which leads me to the ancestral piece. Yeah, you want to kind of dig into your ancestral foods right now. If you want to hear more from Mary, then tune in to my next episode where we talk all about ancestral foods and community resilience.